Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Strevens. I wanted to sit down tonight or stand up as it may be and try and work on some ideas uh, before I take some time off. I, every time I click over to a new set of digits on the episode number, uh, I like to sit down and do one of these. I know they probably don't get a ton of listens, but uh, if you are listening, I do appreciate it. Um, it's interesting because I did this once before and I wasn't happy with the results. So I had to think about it for a few more days about what I'm trying to say here and came to some pretty interesting conclusions. So the question at hand or the question I've been rolling around is <laughs> when will I ever learn to live in God? And you may be wondering what the hell that even means or what I'm talking about. Uh, that comes from a song by Van Morrison off his 1989 album, Avalon Sunset. He says, when will I ever learn to live in God? When will I ever learn? And, you know, I love that because it, at first blush, it almost doesn't really make sense to live in God. You know, we often think about, well, living by a certain set of rules as ordained by a God or living for God or under God, but in God. You know, that to me signals a sort of, or at least how I like to think about it, it signals a sort of personal connection to God in that, you know, God is within me. I'm in God and it's all sort of one. And that's actually some, it's an idea that I've been working on since the start of this podcast. I think it was sort of one of the first tenants that I tried to start rolling out. You know, I, I, I like to think about a streamlining of life or, or doing one thing as you do all things or whatever it is that you do or whoever it is that you are, you know, there's something essential there. And it's that pursuit of, of being that and doing that all the time uh, that might be living in God. You know, I've been really, really lucky to talk to some people on this show who are entrepreneurs, uh, people who are creative um, you know, people that run their own business, people that, people that have worked in a, in a field for 30 years, you know, and, and it defines them and it defines them because it, what they do in some ways defines who they are. And I, I've heard, I've heard the opposite of that. I've heard, you know, when you are what you do, when you don't, then you aren't, but I'm not so sure about that. You know, in, one, in some sense, it's true. If you're defined by what you do and then you don't get to do it anymore, well, then what are you? Uh, I get that. But at the same time, it's almost like what you're doing is a representation of who you are. You're doing what you're doing because that's what you ought to be doing, if that's the case. And, you know, even, so don't let the job define you. You know, I've talked to a lot of people where the job does define them, entrepreneur, creative, whatever it may be. But even if you're someone that works a nine to five uh, as a way to afford yourself a lifestyle, then what is it that you're doing outside of work? And maybe therein we find, we find who you are. And, and, and even that, the fact that you're doing something you don't necessarily want to do in order to live the life that you do want, well, well that says something about you too. It means you're willing to make sacrifices. You know, the first episode of this podcast, I talked to Marcio Nunes. Twice I've talked to my friend Roberto Alice, Olivia Fata, uh, Devin Bailey, countless times, Brandon Baker, musician, Daniel Martin. That's an episode coming out or that came out this week. You know, these are people who 
they believe so firmly in what it is they ought to do and they, and they do it. It doesn't mean that they're always doing it. It doesn't mean that their whole life is that, but it's that their whole life is their whole life. There's something very essential about all the things they do. You know, and that's, that to me is living in God. And that's what I'm striving to do. But, you know, the second part of the title is when will I ever learn? And, you know, I felt like in the last few months, I've really, uh, in some senses, stopped living in God. I stopped striving for that ideal. I continued in some senses to do what I've been doing, the, the video production, the podcasts, the daily life. But, you know, and, and there is something missing in daily life these days. You know, a lot of my friends are, are taking the, the, the protocols, the health protocols seriously. We're not getting together. You know, people are busy, people are growing up, people are starting families. It's not necessarily like it used to be all the time. So something is missing there for me. And I'm well aware of that and I'm starting to feel feel it, a deep a deep uh, pressure on my soul. And uh, it led me to this question, when will I ever learn? Because if you're living in God, if you're pursuing that streamlining of yourself, doing what it is that you, you can do, you know... Uh, There's a Japanese word for it called the ikigai. And I learned this from a very wise man named Dave Irvin. Check him out, Dave Irvin, David Irvin, an Irvin Stone venture. You know, he says, he talks about the ikigai, and I'm going to fuck this up probably because I'm not as well versed in it as him, but there's, there's what you can do. There's what you're made for, there's what you do, what you can do, and then there's what the world needs. And there's a third component to it that I don't remember. I didn't plan on talking about this, but <laughs> I like the concept because it says that it says that there's a niche for everybody. And you know, this is you might say this is something this is sort of materialistic, it's sort of relativist. It it, it assumes a sort of it assumes a metaphysical structure that we don't see, but that we can tap into, you know, like it assumes that there's a niche for me and that's fine if you don't believe that. But, you know, I guess what I'm talking about here is we're all in pursuit of where we ought to be. That's living in God. When will I ever learn? Well, some facets of our lives have been changed in the last year or so and things have been taken from us. And so to live in God might not totally be possible, but at the same time, it's very much the time when you have to strive to do so when things are challenging, when you're being tested. And you know, God, God means different things to different people. I think to me, it means the ideal, the highest that I can conceive of. You know, for some people, it's it's a much more um, it's a much more, I guess, it's a much more central thing. It's a much more, yeah, central thing, a creative entity, you know, to me, it's not necessarily that, you know, questions of creation. I'm not qualified to answer those. And I haven't had the, the, I haven't made the leap of faith yet. And I may never. Uh, so to me, God is something like a high, uh, the highest ideal that I'm pursuing. It's that harmony. It's that streamlining. It's, it's, it's all of us out there who are, who are doing what we do. You know, we work, we work a job and then we go do a podcast. We shoot a short film, we record an album, or we're pursuing art as a career, 
or we've maybe just made the leap from a side hustle to a full-time job because we feel so deeply within us that, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a creator, I'm a doer, I'm a builder, and whatever that looks like. Now, on the contrary to that, and this is where I went last time, I'm going to go here again, but I'm going to then turn gracefully right around. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, you may say that that's self-centered, right? You may say that that's a bunch of self-indulgence, but, you know, in some sense, that's kind of all, all we really have. Because if you're not indulging yourself, if you're not developing yourself, if you're not being yourself, if you're not striving to live as your ideal self as best you can, what takes over there is a lot of the time is ideological possession. Because think about it. If you're not living your life, whose life are you living? If you're not creating your own ideas, you're consuming other people's ideas. Now, I don't pretend to be particularly well-read, though I do have a liberal arts degree. Woohoo! But I do know that Friedrich Nietzsche... And Fyodor Dostoevsky came to similar conclusion as they watched society around them become secular, as they watched the church and state become separated. And Nietzsche famously said, God is dead. Now, what they both realized that was that if we're taking God out of people's lives, if we're, if we're making organized religion no longer a requirement to live in this state, well, you, you're not going to take the religious need and desire and drive out of people. You're just going to give them the opportunity to not have to fulfill it. They don't have to pray to Jesus. <laughs> you know, they don't have to worship a God. Fine. But there's still that innate need. And I believe this. I do believe this. For what it's worth. We, many of us, most of us, conceive of that highest good and we want answers to the big questions those existential questions why are we here who created us where did we come from what is this all about what is the meaning of life and religion rightly or wrongly and i think more as i get older rightly at least tried to answer those questions now what you might call the politicization of religion and the deaths of, you know, <laughs> countless millions of people in the name of religion, that's a different matter. You know, but from the, from the time that we could, oh, I don't know, walk upright, we had stories about meaning and creation. You know, the leap of faith that I talked about earlier that's what French writer Albert Camus called philosophical suicide. And in a sense, that is what religion delivers, philosophical suicide. In Camus' mind, the absurd takes hold when the human, rational mind seeks for answers in an inherently irrational universe. I think a lot of us can be quite, quite, I think that you can hold in both in one hand and the other hand the idea that the universe is irrationally chaotic while in the other hand believe in God. I, I think you have to. Or at least, well, you can do whatever you want. I think I have to. <laughs> you know, I, I think that we can, 
I think that we can believe in God without committing philosophical suicide. You know, because for Camus, it wasn't that there was no God, but it was that there was no rational answer. You weren't going to get that totalizing answer. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? How should I live? But see, to me, those questions are answered within, through trial and error, through living, through doing, through following your interest, through paying attention, through telling the truth, through writing, speaking, conversing, practicing an art, however badly, creating, failing, and succeeding in different ways. And if we're lucky, because not everybody gets to find out what God is. Truly, the God within. Many people uh, commit philosophical suicide and they look, you know, be, being a being a devout Christian to Camus was committing philosophical suicide. It was saying, this is the answer. This is what it is. And believing that story. And that's fine in my eyes. I don't know if Camus felt that it was fine. We're searching for answers in an irrational, chaotic universe. And if believing the stories as they're laid out in the Bible gives you comfort, you're committing philosophical suicide. But in my eyes, I'm not going to necessarily place a moral judgment on that. It works. You know, people say, oh, well, you, you shouldn't need a book to tell you how to live. You should live well. Well, how do you know? How do you know what it means to live well? If you don't follow a book, well, you follow some moral code. Any moral code is philosophical suicide. There is no right way or wrong way to live other than that which we consider to be so. Right? We're all committing philosophical suicide every day when we decide how to live. Whether it's from a book or whether it's from something that was handed down through generations... And even if you've learned these lessons the hard way yourself on how to conduct yourself, you're still believing that they are the right answer for you. Now, if you start saying it's the right answer for everyone, that to me sounds again like philosophical suicide. Where am I going with this? Good question. But I want to circle back to this idea of ideological possession. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's a, it again goes back to this idea of philosophical suicide. I hope I'm making this quite clear as well as I understand it, but it's Christianity, any religion, vegetarianism, <laughs> uh, extreme progressivism, wokeism, if you will. Those are ideological possessions. Being a, being a dyed-in-the-wool conservative or Republican, you know, Making decisions based on a, I guess, an a priori or dogmatic framework. That's philosophical suicide. That's ideological possession. That is ideas having people, which is what Carl Jung said. And again, I'm, I'm name dropping. I'm not as well read as I might lead myself, lead you to believe my, uh, me to be. I can't even speak. Uh, I'm, I'm not as well read as I may sound. I'm dropping names here, but these ideas are important and I've, I've heard them and I've held on to them. Interestingly enough, right? Ideas having people. Well, some of these ideas are using me to speak, right? 
Ideas have people. I think we ought to do a, a bit better job of being people than ideas. And that's why I think that the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has been very revealing as far as how people behave in a secular society when we need answers. You know, it, it struck me the other day, um, the, the sort of religious-like belief in institutions. And let me stop here and now say, I find myself a lot more sympathetic lately to the mainstream um, narrative about, about COVID, um, what many people would believe to be the truth. I think it's a much bigger issue. I think it's hard to discern right from wrong, but I do think that a highly, you know, a highly transmissible, not so deadly virus is definitely making its way, killing scores of people. And that the government's had to react to that. I don't have a problem wearing a mask. I don't have a problem socially distancing. I don't have a problem with reduced social contact. I really don't. If, because who am I to say? You know, there's people that seem to know better than me and that's fine. Let me be quite clear when I say I'm fine to play ball when it comes to the health measures in place. Now, that doesn't mean that the health measures that are in place are right. And I'm not really, I'm kind of done having that debate. Masks versus no masks, lockdown versus not. I know there's probably plenty of uh, drawbacks to locking down. You know, do I think that high school athletes should have to wear masks during a game? That's ridiculous. But wearing masks in a workplace when there's people of mixed age groups, People with families, people that go home at night. If you're telling me the masks make a difference, fine. Not a problem. But, you know, it struck me this sort of... And so now, so now once, you know, again, once you can free yourself from the ideological possession about any one thing, you know, COVID-19 or let's say the politicization of COVID-19. Once you can free yourself from having to make a stance on that and you can sort of zoom out and take a 30,000 foot view and just see it for what it is, a gigantic global event going on now for, what, really well over a year now. I find it fascinating, the way in which a secular society has reacted to something like this. Now, obviously, you know, (laughs) hundreds of years ago, I would think when religion organized religion like Christianity was more prevalent in society, um, we would have had all the answers. You know, God was upset. We were sinning and this was a plague. But we still want to know where the hell this came from and what we're supposed to do in the face of all of it, you know? And so it struck me the sort of religious-like nature of um, our reaction to it. You know, you, you've got people, you've got people getting vaccinated and a lot of people believe that vaccine is the, is the answer here. And I'm quite sure that it, (laughs) I'm quite sure that it is, you know, my parents are into their mid sixties. I'm glad they're vaccinated. A friend who's going through recently finished chemotherapy, he's immunocompromised. I'm glad he's vaccinated, you know? 
but you have people posting selfies on Instagram. I got vaccinated. Here's my sticker. You should too. That's not about public health. You know, there's this blind belief in science. And I realize this is a controversial view because this is not necessarily the right place to make this argument because in some senses, if this is true, if these vaccines, if we're taking it at face value, it's a, it's nothing short of a miracle, right? In less than a year, they developed a cure. Not a cure, sorry, but a vaccine that is apparently fairly, uh, you know, fairly strong. But it's interesting to see the way that people just blindly adhere. Because, you know, in some senses, science, science, whatever that means, has replaced God in this society. Right? Because this is still an irrational... Okay, so fine, but could you explain to the average person the way the COVID vaccine works? Probably you could. Could you show them how it works? No. It's microscopic. You know, it was Camus who talked about how lucidity founders in metaphor, when, when we talk about science, lucidity, your lucidity, this, this clear, crisp answer fails because we have to reduce it to metaphor. The universe is still <laughs> inherently impossible for us to understand in some ways. Now we're talking about the micro, micro, microscopic level. We got to believe. We just got to believe. And you better get your vaccine because I did. You know, you see a lot of what they call virtue signaling on social media. I even heard a story about news anchors. This is in the States. News anchors on one channel getting vaccinated on TV and then chastising anchors on the other channel for not. It's like, what? how divisive could you be? But that's all the media is, right? Especially over there. It's divisive. It seeks to divide. But again, I I really don't care if you get vaccinated or don't. I think it's a great thing. Now, I've heard heard the story, oh, well, the Chinese government created COVID-19 in the laboratory, man. You know? They had the cure. They had the cure patented in January of 2020, man. It's like, okay, fine. So what? I still don't want my parents to die a horrible death. You know? <laughs> oh, COVID only kills 2%, 1% of the people that get it. Okay. Would you want to die the way those people died? Alone? Scared in a nursing home? Unable to breathe? Organ failure? Governments had to react, rightly or wrongly. You know, but at the same time, at the same time, there's a lot of fear-mongering in the media that goes on. Those sort of uh, personal stories of one person's journey through COVID. You know, there's the one guy that just went through hell versus the however many tens of thousands of people recovered. Or we're asymptomatic. People go through hell every day. And we you, we don't always hear about it. We just have to assume it. Right? But 
that's the way sensationalization uh, works. Because again, we're being sold a narrative here because we because that's what we asked for. That's what we need as a people. That's what I've been trying to say here. We're looking for that total answer. And when you look for that in places other than God, this is what you get. You get sold a lot of fear. And you get sold a lot of fear in the name of religion too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about God in an organized religion sense. I'm talking the God within. I'm talking striving for harmonization in your life. Being who you are. Not seeking the answers externally. You know, and on the flip side of that coin, there's this sort of, you know, what we're, I'm talking about this sort of mainstream, uh, typically liberal um, buying into the mainstream narrative about COVID. You have now the right wing, uh, far right wing, alt right perspective that, oh, well, it's a conspiracy. They're taking our rights and freedoms away. And you know, it really just reeks a lot of selfishness on that side. I, and again, I understand it. There's many small business owners with skin in the game who are losing everything. You know, to some degree, I was one of them. I've been lucky to sort of bounce back. Uh, but I lost all my income for a number of months last year. And I, and I know friends that maybe they wanted to be a, a, a musician or, or some other f- sort of artist or, or someone who relied on public gatherings to make their income. And the government's deemed those non-essential that we can't do it and your income is gone. Your potential is at least on hold. And I, I, you have to be able to hold multiple views in your head at once. That's part of what, you know, because that's part of what I'm trying to say here is that to live in God is, is not to be bogged down by first order ideas. Who's right, who's wrong, left wing, right wing, all that. All that is so, is, is made to divide people as they are. It's made to divide people into groups so that they can be sold to and lied to and scared and kept in control. So again, I have a lot of sympathy for small business owners who have like the Whistle Stop Cafe in Southern Alberta is kind of in the news right now. I, it's, it's terrible. Yes, your rights and freedoms are being suspended. So what? What do you, you know, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to gather and we're going to protest and we're going to talk about it. Good. Okay. Uh, court of Queens bench issued an injunction that says to say that it's now illegal to do that. Okay. Well, this is when you realize quite clearly that it's not me versus you and you versus him and me versus them. It's the people versus the state. And in some ways I think the game is over. As Leonard Cohen said, everybody knows the game is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Like we consented to be governed centuries ago or, and there's no winning, right? Like we consented to being governed centuries ago. So any ideas of right and wrong were settled long ago and we, we can keep arguing about it. And it's so goddamn boring. It's so boring to have these same right versus left conversations. It's like, yes, your freedoms are being taken away from you. Yes, you have every right to be angry. But also, if all you people gathering, uh, if there was, you know, any any number of those people theoretically had COVID, if any of them contracted COVID and then went home and killed their family members with it, <laughs> you know, 
That would be too good, would it? That wouldn't be great, but that's just the nature of the beast. Life is fragile. Life is unpredictable. The universe is irrational, and we're looking for a reason why, and it doesn't exist. And that's why what you're seeing today is just a lot of anxiety and anger. And people who haven't sorted themselves out in the sense of that they haven't begun to look for God within. And I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to make a case here for what that might look like. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. But, the idea, I, I just think the politicization of COVID-19 has been a, just a fascinating case study in what happens in a secular society when when we are faced with our own mortality. I mean, thank God it's not World War II. Thank God it's not the Spanish flu, you know? Thank God we're not living in some of those third world countries, you know, where famine and and flooding, the way COVID is ripping through India, you know? Things like that. We live in a Western democracy, and I I mean, I, I do. Maybe there's someone listening to this show who doesn't. I think that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear from you if that were the case. Um, But, you know, we we have a right. You know, we hear a lot about rights. And it's like, what about responsibilities? It's like, what are you doing to earn them? What are you doing to earn those rights and maintain those rights? Bitching about it. It's got to go a little further than that. So again, the, the, the true irony and why I decided to retake this episode was um, <laughs> I was watching an episode of The Office and it's it's, it's an important episode in the, in the show where it's Holly's first day at the office and, and Michael's watching her. And, uh, you know, Michael doesn't, Michael's distrustful and skeptical of her because she's an HR and he hates the current HR, uh, you know, rep. And he's watching her and he's just, yeah, I don't like her. I hate her, blah, blah, blah. And and Dwight, Michael's kind of henchman sidekick is standing there saying the same things. And Michael looks and says, I don't know, Dwight. I think sometimes you just say things, you know, say things because you'll think I'll agree. Have an original thought. And that struck me dumb for some reason. I've seen that episode so many times, but just that idea, have an original thought. And... So part of the reason that I retook this episode was because that was ultimately that's what's that's what I've lost in the last few months is my inability to have an original thought. I have become very good at listening to podcasts and reading Twitter and listening to other people. And suddenly I believe that their issues are my issues. And I'm more than happy to have people on the podcast and make their issues my issues for a time. You know, but when it comes down to me and my issues, you know, I really feel like I've, I've, been, I've been corrupted in some senses because I'm not having these original thoughts. And uh, I went and visited my parents tonight. And I, so I was in the home where I grew up for 20 years. And then I took a stroll south to the river. And I stood in a spot that I hadn't stood in years and years. And then I walked home through my old neighborhood into my new neighborhood and I realized that I had lost sight of myself and I haven't been having original thoughts. 
And I started thinking, when will I ever learn? Because I've, <laughs> I've had this problem before. And I, I think, I really do think that that's kind of part of the problem in society today. And that, that's a ridiculous thing to say. I, I think that's my problem. And I wonder if there's other people out there who share this. It's easy to get filled in with information and data and other people's perspectives and to start living other people's lives, to idolize people. I mean, in some sense, that is, that is what the West is, built on that Judeo-Christian um, tradition of a single God, a soul God, and the Word, you know? And just sort of, rather than, rather than having a real connection to the self and to what God could be, We're just plugged in and we're just mouthing ideas. And I don't want to do that so much anymore. I think it's important to be informed and to hear things. But but don't make them yours. You know, they're ideas. They're not yours. They're just things that you say and think. But when it comes to having an original thought, this is really what I'm working on is this idea of living in God. You know, Devin, my friend Devin Bailey, who you've heard on the Mooncasts, the three of you that listen, <laughs> you know, he talked about that concept of shirk. That's an Islamic concept as I understand it. And it, it's a crime and it, it's, it means to worship anything other than the one true God. You know, and that's that, think about that. <laughs> How many people, myself included, yourself maybe too, we get caught up believing in things, putting things ahead of ourselves, putting power into things that, that aren't that important, you know? It's something like externalizing ideas, taking on problems, tapping into things that are external to you. Again, I, I keep going back to the, to the COVID debate because I think it's, I think it's useful here. I think that the small business owner who's being told he's not essential and that he has to shut down, he has skin in the game and he has every right to take a stand. The people that come out to support him don't necessarily have that same right. Right? They're rallying around a cause. That is just such a Western thing to rally around a single point, to take on somebody else's cause as if it were your own. That, that I mean, that's... It's a very liberal thing in some sense, and yet we're seeing it. I mean, you see it everywhere. There's the martyr. You know, the guy who is in some sense being crucified, being told that he's not essential and he's got to shut down, lose his livelihood. And then there's all the people that gather to watch because they're looking for something to fill them in. But it's like, why not go find the place in your life where you're being crucified? Why not look deep into your soul instead of, I understand that he's asking for your support and that's fine. But now you're getting mad on somebody else's behalf. What are you mad about? You know? Is it because is it that you have to wear a mask in the fucking Walmart? Is that what you're mad about? You know, I... I I've talked about this before and it's funny. It's like this ideological possession. It's like, 
it's 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 almost like our whole society as i understand it the judeo-christian west has been built for this moment we took away god and then we gave you a plague and and now you're mad that you have to wear a mask now you're mad that you're being given an answer but you don't like that answer you know but it's it's not about the masks really it's not about the lockdowns really it's it's it in some senses it's strange because it, it, I, I'm I'm, ta- I'm calling on people to sort of be themselves and they're being themselves and they're being very selfish at the same time, <laughs> you know. So I don't have any answers really. I'm just rambling. But in the absence of God, in a spiritual or metaphysical sense, we're left looking for meaning from some other external source. And where we find them are these low places, places that aren't fit to be called God. Politics, sports, social media, sexuality, sex maybe. But we leave behind it. We leave behind that ideal that we could be when we fill in that emptiness with things that just aren't big enough. You know, I, I, I've been talking about this a little bit, but I saw this meme. I saw this meme where it's, it's essentially a bell curve of measuring IQ. You know, and you can imagine a bell curve is like most people are of an average IQ. And then there's, a, you know, less people who are really quite low on that scale and less people who are really quite high. It's a bell curve distribution. And the meme so goes where it's like, oh, you know, the strategy for just existing or maybe the strategy for con- for uh, content creation or self-expression. On, on the far tail ends of the really stupid and the really smart people, they're saying the answer is the same. Make stuff. And then all the midwits in the middle of the bell curve are going, no, you, you need a content creation strategy. You need branding. You need a calendar. You need to plan. No, 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 no. Make stuff. That's the answer. And it got me thinking, could we apply that same bell curve to something like the closeness or knowingness of God? You know? And I don't know if we strip IQ out, I don't necessarily know what the metric is, but very few people are devoutly religious, I would say, to this day. And that that might be ridiculous. That might not be true. But imagine that. Very few people on the left-hand side of the bell curve are devoutly religious and they just... They pray to God. They know God. Then you have all the midwits in the middle who are intellectualizing. That's most of us who are intellectualizing what God is or what life is, right? Or or shirk, right? Or placing, uh, worshiping things other than God. And then you have the people who really truly know God through themselves on the, on the other side of the bell curve. And I think that's where I'm trying to go. You know, I think one example or one sort of case or let's say example that that works in some ways is is masturbation i realize this is somewhat uncomfortable or foul but you know if you're devoutly religious it's quite likely that masturbation is frowned upon for some reason it's being told to you dictated to you that you should not masturbate so you don't masturbate or you do and you feel guilty about it (laughs) then you have sort of the middle of the bell curve where probably most people reside today where it's like it's my body I'm free to do with it as I like, I'm going to masturbate. And then, 
you have on the far, on the right-hand side of the bell curve, people that don't masturbate, not because it's frowned upon in their religion, but because they know that it is destructive. It's a destructive tendency and doesn't do well for them and takes them further away from knowing God, takes them further away from their ideal, takes them further from pursuing their ideal, destroys their energy. You know, hormonally, it's not good for you. Men, anyway. And that's my personal experience. Might not be the case for everybody, but it's an example. We could think of others. Uh, divorce, maybe. Uh, premarital sex. Um, drug and alcohol abuse. You know, any kind of self-abuse. It's frowned upon in religion because we're trying to keep the body pure. We're trying to keep the self closer to God. Or there's the people in the middle who can intellectualize it and say, I'm free to do whatever I want. If I want to smoke cigarettes and drink beer and eat McDonald's and not wear a mask or wear a mask. Uh, fine. Fuck you. Do it. You know, like really, you don't understand that. You don't understand that your freedom to choose doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make the right choice. But it's a learning process and we come down to the far right-hand side of the bell curve where people are neither devoutly religious nor overly intellectualizing their own freedoms and they take care of themselves because that's what it, that's what it means to live in God. That's what it takes to get to that ideal place. You know, in the absence of God, in a spiritual or, or true metaphysical sense, which is fine. That may be the case in this irrational universe. We're left with two choices. Commit philosophical suicide and over-intellectualize and just take that leap of faith and say, this is how it is. Subscribe to some kind of all-knowing, all-prescribing dogma. Or look for something a little bit bigger and it's only found in one place and that's within the universe within.